0: Greetings from Eastern Nazarene College, where we are starting a podcast for you, trying to answer some theological questions surrounding the current crisis and COVID-19. We have a panelist uh, with us, a panel of experts on theological conversations. And so I'm happy to be joined by Dr. John Nielsen, Reverend Andrea Sautel, Dr. Phil LaFountain, and Brother Andy, Andy, Edward, you guys uh, are probably uh, all stuck at home just pondering these questions. So I'm sure you've got some deep theological answers for us. But as we dream about this, I'm hopeful that by the end of this, you can help equip some of us uh, without a theological degree with some handles on how to how to answer some of these questions that we have about where is God in the middle of this crisis. And so the first question that I'm going to submit to our panelists, actually, before we go there, why don't I just have a quick conversation with some of our panelists and, and maybe you could tell me, um, what in the world you've been doing the past couple of weeks trapped in your house? Have you been just chilling out on the couch or, or, uh, watching all kinds of Netflix or just reading your Bible nonstop? What, what have you guys been doing? John, why don't we start with you?
1: Yeah, I, I would love to do all those things. Uh, I think, Larry, uh, that sounds great. Um, I'm still teaching um, about seven classes, so I'm trying to just keep on top of that. So I'm spending every day you know, vi- videoing lectures and responding to stuff and creating new content, trying to reimagine. Um, you know, teaching in this setting, but actually in some of our ministry classes, I mean, this topic is, is really helpful because we've added this topic to a lot of the classes. It wasn't originally on the agenda or the syllabus, but now we want to think through, you know, Andy's with me in preaching class right now. What does it mean to to preach, you know, in this current environment? What does the practice of Christian ministry look like in this environment? So uh, still teaching and, uh, but really thinking about this issue as it relates to, you know, how do we th- reimagine, ministry and lots of different things. Andrea, why don't we go to you next? I'm sure you've just been
0: chilling at home, not doing much of anything.
2: (laughs) Yeah. um, Well, I just got back from delivering Easter eggs to all of the teenagers in my youth group. So (laughs) it sounds a little more exciting. Um, I have also been at home with two small children, a four-year-old and a seven-year-old. So our, our life looks a little different. Um, But it's actually been, it's been great. We've played a lot of games. We've walked a lot. I've put puzzles together. Um, You know, it's it's been good. But mostly, I've been working and just trying to figure out how to do youth ministry online now, um, which is, you know, a highly relational thing. And so um, I've been listening to a lot of leaders, talking with a lot of leaders, reading a lot of stuff, just to try to figure out how to best minister to people. Um, but it, it, you know, it's nice to be able to get up in the morning and hang at my house a little bit. It was nice for the first three weeks. Um, I might be ready to get out now. So, you know, Andrew teaches
0: youth ministry classes here at Eastern Nazarene College. And I'm betting that you've probably told your uh, students that you don't reduce your ministry to an online ministry. You really need to get out there with the kids. So this, this must be really interesting for you.
2: Yes, it is interesting. (laughs) Having to learn some new normals, um, you know, I I think it's there. It's also pushed me a little bit to learn some things that I didn't know how to do before technology wise. um, That's given me a chance to like, figure out how to reach kids where they're at. But at the end of the day, I mean, we are built for relationships. And so trying to figure out what that looks like. So I feel like everything I just taught my students in the fall semester, like, it's, it's being thrown out the window and we're starting over from scratch. So but it's good. A yeah. challenge is good.
0: Gotta somebody's gotta write the new book. That's right. COVID nineteen and, and youth ministry. That's uh yep. know, ministry in general. Andy, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, what you're doing in the middle of this uh staying at home. Uh well during this whole
3: time, um I'm still currently Invested in in the in the semester, still taking uh, as you know, Professor uh, Nielsen said, I'm still taking a preaching class. Hey Amen, brother. Still, I
1: hope this is, I hope you're you know doing your work there, man. Yes,
3: <laughs> I got to do my work. i have got to turn in papers. I'm also taking a class with, uh, with Professor Lafountain as well in uh, theology. So uh, I've been really just been busy with uh, you know doing homework and also too you know embracing family. Uh, because sometimes you get so busy um, throughout, you know, throughout the semester and do different things. So just really spending time with family, doing my work, and uh, spending time with the Lord. Because I'm not going to have, I've, I've been speak, seek, seeking God for more more time. Um, but I, I didn't expect I was going to get the time like this. Uh, so this was definitely, um, uh, it definitely was, uh, it was shocking. But overall, overall, just staying productive and just being busy. That's all.
0: All right. And Dr. Phil Fountain, I imagine you've got all kinds of home projects you're working on.
4: Yeah, you're right. But uh, obviously, priority is online courses and keeping up with those and uh, enjoying that. But learning a lot, too, is a learning curve for me. Uh, fortunately, I had already done some online Canvas stuff in classes, so it's uh, just extending that. Also, I'm part of the leadership team, so we have weekly meetings and keeping up with what's happening at ENC. But you're right, Larry. Uh, uh, you know, I have always a lot of projects going on. So this morning, I spent a few hours outside cleaning up leaves and getting my yard all set. And I have another area of my garden, working in the garden. But uh, my major project I'm really interested in is relocating my earthquake detector, my seismograph, <laughs> and I'm moving it from the inside of the house to the outside. So I poured a cement foundation for that and building the house for that. And I've got just ordered parts for a new style earthquake detector, a vertical one, and that will go next to the other one. And I'll, I'll run the wires inside and I'll keep the electronics warm, run into the attic and run to my office. And I'll have a dedicated computer to record earthquakes. So Bill, yeah. I'm curious, you, you live in Rhode Island. I do. Yeah. No, North Massachusetts. I'm sorry. Massachusetts. of oh,
0: okay.
4: We did live in Rhode Island, but we moved up. Yeah.
0: Uh, okay. Are you finding lots of earthquakes in in well, uh,
4: you, well, there, well, there are many micro ones actually in our area, but uh, this detector actually, the two, both of them uh, will be able to, well, I already have uh, recorded earthquakes, um, California, easy in California and uh, Central America. And I got a couple in Japan, large ones.
0: Wait. So you've buried a detector in your backyard.
4: Well, I, I, I put it on a foundation. I poured a cement foundation, and then I set it on that. And then when the earth moves, that foundation moves, it moves relative to a boom, which has a coil. And so the coil and the uh, magnet move relative to each other, induces a current, and then I amplify that, send it to analog digital converter, and then send it to my... Uh, GUI and record it. So yeah, it's been a lot of fun. I am learning things. Doctor Phil LaFountain, Renaissance
0: man, theologian and scientist. I had no idea. <laughs> I love science. Great. That is great. But you didn't put a virus detector on there, did you?
4: No, uh, that's my wife works for the health department in Rhode Island. I get plenty of that from her. <laughs> okay. I, I'm pretty much fed up with that. <laughs>
0: You've got the earthquakes. She's got the virus. Yep. That sounds good. Hey, I'm going to jump into this first question we have. And uh, you you might need to dissect the question at first, maybe even redirect it, but eventually we want to answer the question, uh, which is, is, is God punishing us in the middle of this disaster? Can you, can anybody start sharing about that a little bit?
1: What do you think about that question? I would, I would say that, you know, the, the, fundamental answer is is no. I mean, in our theological tradition, we would not... Actually, the, the fundamental answer is probably yes.
0: <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Sorry. Sorry to interrupt.
1: You're wrong, Larry. No, <laughs> no I mean, I, I think, you know, I mean, there's, you have to unpack that. But I mean, I, I would I would want to start by saying, you know, no, you know, we, we don't believe that God is a vindictive God who, who causes, you know, evil. Um, the source of of sickness, the source of death, the source of pain, you know, comes from the brokenness of a fallen world. It doesn't come from the hand of a loving God. And, and yet that's not to say that that's an easy answer or that there aren't parts of, of what happens in these kinds of situations that isn't still mystery and certainly things that God can teach us in the midst of it. But I, I would want to start from a place that says, God is not the author of evil though God is at work in everything to redeem anything, you know, for our good and his glory. So God's at work, but, but God's not the one to go you know, turning to for, um, you know, to, to blame for the cause of, of this. I know Phil help me out.
4: Yeah, no, I, I, uh, fundamentally, I think you're right. I, I don't see this as a punishment, but, it's an interesting question, isn't it? Because people, the church, asked the same question during the times of the plague. Uh, the Old Testament is filled with references to "Hey, is is God punishing us?" and that sort of thing. But I think John, your point is valid. There, there is a, there's always a redemptive component to what God does. So it's not a vindictive punishment. But I think we could see this as one possibility, uh, one possible way for God to awaken the church, right? You know, Um, I want to frame this question in a much broader framework in the secularization of the church in America and the world. I want to frame it in the context of a church in America that's in bondage to American culture and materialism and consumerism, uh, you know, and could it be that God is using this as a way of awakening the church to its fundamental task, to be the holy people in the church, to, uh, to bring the good news of redemption and reconciliation to the world? And my answer to that would be yes, uh, for sure, without a doubt. Um, but I'm open to having some conversation about that. You know, Did it come from God? I think it's part of the natural world, as John has identified. But again, is God using it? Uh, my my position is, yeah, I think so
2: yeah i would I would jump on that too, and agree um that i I do believe God is using it, um and that i I like that concept of awaken, um, that idea of like bringing us awake to what matters most what's most important, um which I think you know, it's been, it's been weird ministering from far away, um, from people, but at the same time, I think it's identified a lot of, a lot of idols that we have in our life and a lot of things that we thought mattered, maybe that aren't as important and really stripped, stripped down, like what matters most. Um, I also think, you know, you, you see the church coming together in some different ways. And so, um, you know, using, I, I mean, I believe, I believe this type of stuff happens because of the fall and I think there's sin in the world and you know, it's, God is in the, is the business in the business of restoring the world um, and bringing his kingdom here. And I think again, that idea of like being able to use all broken things, being able to pull together all of the, the hurt and the brokenness and doing something beautiful with it. Like that's where I've seen God, um, even in the last couple weeks is, is bringing some redemption to something that I think people could look at and only see as, as tragic and bad. Um, but did you see like the, the threads of God's grace and God's love, like a- every day there's something new, even in the midst of that. And so, um, you know, it's, it's, he's, he's definitely using it to redeem um, and using it to bring his kingdom, I think into place, but I don't think that he causes it to happen.
0: Mm. Andy, what are your thoughts? Is God um, us, or is this uh, from God? Yeah, um, I, I,
3: I I agree the same thing. Um, I, I don't believe that this is a, a sense of punishment um, from God, um, like uh, Professor uh, Nielsen has said. Like you know, God is has a nature of love, and you know the, the thing about the scripture, like God tells us, like He disciplines the ones He loves, and the thing about you know the right. discipline um he, he he it teaches the child a, a sense of self-control and responsibility um but just you know to just say to punish um i think it, it kind of really really uh questions the, the character of christ uh in this particular situation but yeah i believe he's using it to bring people to a place of 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 true repentance and really uh just really turn away because we've we, we, we've spoken about, oh, God, forgive us, but we haven't turned. We, we keep constantly going back to a, a place of filth and inconsistency and, 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 and just not righteousness. And, and, and Christ is just using this as an opportunity um, to really call the church to get back on your posts of prayer. Um, let, let us be the, the, the people that God has called us to be um, to help this nation. To, uh, to see Christ through us. So yeah, I, I believe that, uh, that God is using it, but I don't believe that he, he created it for us to punish us. Um, it sounds a little uh, bit, a little off.
0: <laughs> Let me ask you, because I, I, I see that, I hear that. Uh, I don't necessarily hear that from a lot of Nazarene pastors, but I do hear it from time to time in the middle of disaster and in the middle of crisis and in the middle of this crisis. What are the theological distinctions that would allow somebody to say that, to say that God created this and its punishment versus what we believe in the Wesleyan tradition, which is that that God didn't create this? Is it, is it a question of our view of sin in the world? Or what
1: what makes the distinction? That's not that's a good question. I think one, one theological category that is a part of the background of this not the only one uh, but one important one is i think we misunderstand sovereignty and so many times we look at the sovereignty of god and assume that that means that god is the ultimate actor or mover or cause the primary cause um, but god is you know, not sovereign because god causes everything but that god can redeem anything and and so god's sovereignty is in god's ability to restore all things to redeem all things uh, the overall salvific purpose of God in the world to restore all things and to renew and recreate uh, the broken things in this world and that God will be the ultimate final word God will have the last say um, and it's also I think that we we misunderstand suffering we assume that suffering again has to have a reason um, or you know that there's some cause what did I do um, and it's in the suffering in this we're in holy week I think it's in the you know the presence of God uh, with us in our suffering. I mean, the cross is the final reminder that, uh, you know, God understands our suffering in in significant ways, and that we want to always remember that. I, uh, I saw something uh, posted, a quote, Christians don't know all the answers to why life hurts, but we do know that looking at the cross, we can't say God doesn't understand our hurt. And so just to, to know that God's in the midst of that. And so I think misunderstanding sovereignty and misunderstanding suffering are two theological categories that are part of the issue. There's others, I would think, but those are two that
4: come to mind. Phil, what
0: do you think about that?
4: I like what uh, John just said. I was thinking uh, also anthropologically as well. I mean, part of it is our understanding of... You may have to define that
0: before we go oh, on. Well,
4: uh, our the human understanding, uh, you know, the what human beings are like, right? And um, so, obviously, there are traditions that... Uh, consider human beings to be uh, totally depraved, you know, lost completely. And God has to do a completely new miracle in that. There's nothing in us, you know? So the, the Imago Dei is completely obliterated and that's not our view, right? It's, it's distorted, but uh, it's not completely obliterated. And so there's some human touchstone there that God works with. And uh, so we have a synergism, right? We believe that God and humans work together, and God uses us. And that's different from other traditions. Um, yeah, so I would certainly echo what John just said, and I like that a lot.
0: All right. Is there any other pieces of this that we want to share with our audience before we move on? Something, Some thoughts you've had?
3: I think um, pertaining to the question that you asked, um, why do some people think um, that okay, God is using this to punish? Um, for for myself, um, I grew up. Oh well, I wouldn't say I grew up. When I got saved, uh, I was primarily in a Pentecostal evangelical church. So, but what I noticed is that there are times where we were um, within that that body of people we kind of restrict ourselves or oh i wouldn't say restrict but we're not open-minded to all elements of christ and and who he really is so um a lot of times it's just kind of really depending heavily on the prophetic and and how the lord is in a rhema word like what is god saying now about this situation Um, but it's it's just that you know when it's a it's it's very when it's very one dimensional, um, it leaves room for error, and it leaves room for uh, for misunderstanding and for for no type of clarity. So I believe sometimes people might feel like God is punishing because they just look at the Word of God. Okay, that's it, and that's what God did then. That's what He's doing now, but not fully understanding the text um, in its totality, and just really you know like okay, what is the nature of God and what is God, you know, what has he done? Okay, he has done this in the past, but why did he do that in the past? And, and I think when we explore um, the word of God and not just get too caught up in, in a, a one-sided thing, we then allow Christ to really speak to us and really to allow us to get the, the full comprehension of what he's saying uh, in his word and whatnot.
0: Yeah, that's good, Andy. Yeah, thanks.
2: I would, <clears throat> I would just add one other thing, too, um, that sometimes I think when we're in the middle of like a hard, a really hard situation or we want like a circumstance changed, we want it to be different. Like maybe we're praying for God to take something away or praying for, for God to heal something um, or to change something that, you know I, we, we don't always believe that God chooses to heal um, in the process of things. And so I think that piece of God suffering with us and being with us, like I've found in my life, some of those moments where I've prayed so hard personally for God to change like a situation or a circumstance, and he's chosen not to, um, that those have been the moments where I've felt like his closeness um, and, and the fact that he is with us and that he, doesn't just watch from a distance, but that he suffers with us and he enters into our brokenness and that there's hope in the fact that we don't sit alone in that. And so I think even, you know, it's last week um, for myself, like I found myself in this, like this lamenting of everything that was happening, lamenting the suffering. um, Some of which, you know, I look at my life thinking, well, the things that I'm dealing with aren't nearly as bad. Um, as people who have loved ones that have died from uh, what's happening or sitting in the middle of that. Um, but it doesn't matter what we experience that like God is God is God is in it with us um, and that we feel this closeness and that we know and that that again like the, the hope doesn't come from necessarily healing the changing of the situation, uh, this miracle being brought about of what's happening in our world, although we would love to see those things happen. The hope comes from the fact that, Christ has won it and Christ is in it with us. And so um, that's what we cling to. And I think that's the, that's the message um, hopefully that the church is proclaiming um, despite what we see around us. Um, Because for some people in this world, like their situation is not going to change and, and they're going to come out of this pandemic that we're sitting in. And it's, it's not going to be ideal for some people, Um, but that God is, is never changing and he sits in the middle of that. So I, I've found that piece um, to be comforting and that piece to, um, I don't know, trump some of the questions, I guess, that I have about God and what, he, what he's doing and why he's doing it or, you know, those, those types of things that people ask us about. So I just think that God with us is like super, super important to cling to.
0: Let me, let me ask this question because I think it's important now if we're equipping pastors and we're fortunate here at Eastern Nazarene College to have theological professors with pastoral experience, and so we, I mean, just right in front of me here in this conversation, we probably have, I would guess, 50 years of pastoral experience if we were to add it up. Somebody, a parishioner has just passed away in your church, and you're going to a spouse, and they're asking the question, where was God? Why did this happen? Uh, how How do you handle that because we're, we're uh, you know, we're on the front end of what we expect to possibly be hundreds of thousands of deaths across the United States, and perhaps millions of deaths around the world. And so what, if you were to make very practical our theology in a question of somebody in suffering, how would you equip a pastor to answer that question?
1: Hey. I would want to certainly start with just presence. And even if that has to be done in different ways, given the realities that we face, you know, it, it's more important for us to be present and it be a pastoral presence uh, than to have uh, the right answer or some simple answer. So I would, I would start with presence and being with them. However, I can be with them. Um, and then certainly to, to you know, be sit with them in the silence, in the, in the pain in the suffering. And that's again, the, uh, the biblical pattern of, of lament. But, you know, I, I would then say, you know, that God's presence is with us. God, where is God? God's right there at Lazarus' tomb weeping. Uh, so God is with us in the sorrow and God is weeping with us. And again, the cross is our assurance of that reality. Um, and that th- there's some things we can't know why. Most of our attempts to, to get an answer to why will, you know, will not be satisfying. We won't get a full answer this side of, you know, the kingdom come in its fullness. Uh, but we know that, that God is with us, as Andrea has just said so beautifully. And we know that God cares, God's weeping with us. Um, and that in the very suffering of God, uh, God has identified fully with us in our, in our suffering. And so to, to be honest with our feelings and our emotions, even our anger, uh, confusion and fear, and to take that to God as a faithful act, that's what lament is, a faithful act of, of offering that to God as an act of worship, but uh, that God is present with us and God's weeping with us.
4: Yeah, I would love to echo that. I mean, the um, theological insight that uh, Andrea shared in that side sort of a sermonette is very redemptive and very comforting, too. And I think that's another part of our tradition that pushes back against this idea that is God punishing us. Punishment is... Uh, aloof detached you know uh retributive in that sense but that's not the kind of god that we see in scripture revealed to us and not the uh, a god that we worship and and as part of our lives i like what john said about that um being together certainly we want to embody that incarnate that but there's a sense too where people need to know that god is present even when we aren't I think that came out in some of uh, Andrea's uh, components, so I think it's both and in that sense,
2: yeah. not
4: a disagreement. I just wanted to emphasize that a little bit. Oh, absolutely mm.
2: I, w- I was also going to say, um, I know in working with young people um, that one of the one of the biggest things when it comes to faith uh, faith issues and like owning your faith is giving people space to ask questions and to express doubt and to express anger. Um, I know that 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 was crucial. Uh, we we, were, we went through an infertility journey, and that was crucial to me understanding where God was in the middle of like a really really hard kind of pain. And so I I, I think it was probably my dad encouraged me, you know, to be honest, to get honest, to have honest conversations um, with God, to tell Him it, when, where we're angry, to express where we have doubt. And sometimes I think the church, and and us as pastors, like we're quick or we feel like this guilt, like we have to provide some answer that's going to be tangible. um, Or, you know, we, we, we need people to walk away feeling like we've answered their questions. Um, And really the, the reality is the more space we can give to like, let them wrestle with God in some of that. And to just be honest, I think creates this deeper faith in God and it creates this deeper relationship. So we're not just giving pat answers or throwing out scripture um, you know, at random times, like God works all things for the good. Like, yes, we believe that and we know that. But when you're in the middle of, you know, suffering, deep suffering, like I think we have to be able to express our emotion to God and, and that he sits with us in that. And so I think as a, as pastors, again, just like giving people space to express and then encouraging them, like really encouraging them to get honest with God, I, I think is a really important thing.
1: Mm that's absolutely so important yeah that's great i
3: totally agree um we we can't lose our 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 sense of presence uh one of the things that i learned in in intercultural studies in my first year at enc uh, one of the things that professor jolene emphasized in her teaching was uh to be with to do for and to tell and you you have to understand the different elements of that and sometimes like uh, pastor andrea said um the telling okay telling me the word okay i know the word i, I know what it's saying but i'm trying to, to to make the word come alive in me but sometimes for the word to come alive i gotta be human for a second so 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 i can be more realistic so i i can have a sense of a heart to heart with christ and then you know to to do for for somebody and and just really to be with Sometimes when people are going through during this time, um a hug is something that, that that speaks volumes during this time. Just to to check in, um and and I believe like long, during as this as as feet away, right? What'd you say, Larry? As long as, long as you're six feet away, <laughs> uh, <laughs> as long as you're six feet away, a hug. Well, uh, if you can't hug, uh I don't know. Get some plastic wrap put around you and hug the next person. I don't know.
0: <laughs> it is so tough to be relational. And you know. Consistent.
3: But uh, we really have to really I believe we got to explore um, the different elements of love um, yeah. because we've gotten so like love has really changed in the 21st century. Now, when you love, you know, your text, I love you, you know, it's, it's, it's lost its value. I remember, you know, I wasn't alive during that time, but around the time when they used to, you know, send letters. Um, when yeah. you used to, uh, when I was in middle school, I used to pass
0: notes. You're, and, you're making us feel old. Yeah, careful, you're gonna pass, don't you? want to pass do not you do not be going. <laughs> I mean, most of us here are like pre fax machine, even. <laughs> well, well, well. <laughs> I don't that. know if it helps you guys a
3: little bit. It, when I was in middle school, high school, we used to pass notes. I used to still pass notes. And and the thing about passing the note, when you would write the, uh, the, the note, hey, do you like me? Check yes or no. And then you would give it to the girl and then you would wait until the next day. And you'd be like, oh my God, I can't wait to get the response. <laughs> so you're anticipating and there's just something, yeah. there's something about that. But that was the way of communicating. And that was the, the way just to like really grow uh, connected with each other. And and I believe that we can't, you know, lose all those things that the, the ways are different ways to communicate because it's, it's going to bring people together. Yes, we can't social. You know, we can't be any closer than six feet. But at the same time too, uh, picking up the phone and to call yeah. somebody to encourage somebody um, to to write a post on Facebook That's or true. Instagram, whatever yeah. it may be, to be a, a beacon of hope, a bearer of hope, actually, and a beacon of light. To just to help you know those people around us, so well, we can't. Be so you're know saying?
0: Oh no, I'm gonna say you you. I want you to stay into that stream. We're we're gonna bring you guys back for a, a couple of future podcasts, and one of them is going to be talking about uh, this this current phenomenon in the past few weeks of online church. But then after that, we're gonna have a discussion that I think you are right in the middle of right here, and I think you need to bring this, bring us back to this conversation in that podcast, which is how do we love uh, from a distance? Mm, you are, okay. you are nailing it. Yeah, definitely. So we'll, right, we you for that. Yeah. Hey, well, I'd like to thank you guys for joining me. Uh, this has been a great panel. We're going to bring these guys back for a couple of more podcasts and discussions around this topic. We hope it's useful to, our ENC community and beyond, we hope it's useful uh, for pastors. Feel free to send us questions if you have them, and we'd be happy to take a stab at answering those or maybe incorporating those in a, in a future conversation that we have. Let me ask my technical assistant here, Bubba, if somebody was going to ask us a question, where would they send that email to? Or is there an online Facebook page? Or uh, Instagram. Oh, Instagram at ENC Pod. ENC Pod. Excellent. So they can reply to a comment there, and, and we'll get that. And we can. Us. Excellent, and we can incorporate that online. So that's fantastic. All
1: right. DM us.
0: DM us. That's right. Well, thanks, thanks, John. Thanks, Andrea. Thanks, Andy. Thanks, Phil. And thank you for tuning in for our podcast here at Eastern Nazarene College. And join us again for some future conversations. We love you. We appreciate you. And be the hands and feet in Christ in the middle of this crisis. Thank you.